Today's reading is taken from the Isaiah chapter 42. In the Church Bible, will be page 728. In this chapter of the book of Isaiah, the Lord will introduce and announce His chosen servant, the characteristics of this servant, His promise to this servant. We can also see the amazing work of the servant and how he will bring forth justice and free those who are trapped in prison. Chapter 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold. The former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Sellers sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, and like a man of war, He stirs up His seal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows Himself mighty against the foes. For a long time, I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills, and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame. Who trust in carved idols? Who say to metal images, "You are our gods"? Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. 
the Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake, to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is the people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. Who among you will give ear to this, will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, and whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. This is the word of the Lord. Candy, thanks for reading. Please do keep your Bibles open there. Isaiah 42 is what we're going to be working through together. Uh, You might want uh, just to have the outline in front of you. gives you an idea of where we're going. Uh, Do jot down any uh, questions you've got. I'd love to to chat through afterwards, but let's, uh, let's begin in prayer. Isaiah 66. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Father God, thank you that we have your word. Thank you that we can read it, that we can hear it. Please help us this morning tremble at it. Would we recognise the immeasurable privilege of hearing you speak? Would we be humble and contrite? And would most of all we see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Do you ever get tired? I mean, of course you do, we all get tired, but tired not so much from too little sleep, uh, but tired from too much sin and suffering in the world. Uh, Tired from just too much wrong uh, before our eyes, day after day. Everything just seems too much. It could be in our own lives, we know we're struggling just to keep our head above water, we know the difficulties. It could be as we look at the world around us, things just seem such a mess. We see the news stories day after day and we get worn down and worn out. We just wish things could be different. It's a pretty common experience, isn't it? I imagine those in Isaiah's day, those reading Isaiah later in exile, they would have been pretty tempted to be tired, worn out with life and what they see in front of them. The first half of this book spends a lot of time outlining quite how far God's people have fallen. And so chapter 42, it acts like a bit of a wake-up call. It's like a divine alarm clock waking us up to the reality of what God is doing in his world. Perhaps if we've been here during our time in Isaiah, we've been uh, working our way through and we've been wondering how is God going to bring all of his promises to fruition? How exactly is he going to bring salvation and rescue and life to his people, indeed even to the nations? 
Well, Isaiah's given us uh, many pointers to the answer, but now it's as if Isaiah begins to draw back the curtain more and more. We're in this section from chapters 40 through to 55, and it is about tearing down idols. It's iconoclastic. Idols are no hope at all. But even more than that, it is also pointing us to the positive answer. God will do all of this. He will fulfill all of his promises through his servant. So look with me again to chapter 42. And we get three scenes unpacking God's grace towards us. And now before we get all twitchy, you'll see there are three points in the outline. We're going to spend most of our time looking at the first scene. So you don't need to look at your, your watch, don't need to worry about the, uh, the dinner in the oven, we'll be okay. And, and the first scene, it is a picture of just wonderful hope and reassurance. Verses 1 to 9, look to the Lord's servant who brings justice and salvation. Look to the Lord's servant who brings justice and salvation. And we get the command right at the outset. Behold, or or look, verse 1, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. It is a call to sit up and take notice. Here is one, an individual, a servant who will bring justice. This person is unbelievably special. Verse 1, he's chosen. The Lord delights in him. We've seen, haven't we, how God is beyond compare. And yet here he's putting his spirit on someone. Chapter 41 ends with the declaration, it's only the Lord who saves, not idols. We'll see in verse 8 of our reading, he gives his glory to no other. And yet here he's going to act through a servant, this servant. I was going to wait until later in the sermon for some great reveal of who this servant is, but it's almost impossible not to go straight to Jesus. As Jesus arrives on the stage in Matthew 3, what do we discover at his baptism? The Spirit of God descends and rests on him. And what does God say? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He delights in him. Right from the outset of his ministry, Jesus is identified by God as this servant. But uh, let's just stay in Isaiah a bit longer and just look at what this servant is going to do. He's going to bring justice, do you see that, to the nations. Uh, Three times, in fact, we're told this servant will bring about justice. Now, when we hear that word, we might think of the royal courts of justice or someone getting justice, getting what they deserve. And that is included in the sense here. Uh, But justice in Isaiah, it's a much bigger idea. It basically means making everything right. Setting everything as it should be. That's justice. Uh, The same word is used in Exodus 26 verse 30, talking about God's plan for the tabernacle. It's like God's blueprint for how things should be. His blueprint he reveals from heaven. Uh, so justice here is God's good ways for his world to work. He alone knows what's best for us. He alone knows how to make us happy 
and fulfilled. And he's going to do it all through this chosen servant. It will include judgment on his enemies, but it's also reordering the world to be what it was always meant to be. Isaiah pictures a just world with human society as God means it to be, with no corrupting idolatries. And when we see slums and poverty and oppression and illiteracy and pollution and human misery in all its forms, do we realise where it stems from? These massive disorders prove we're arranging human life according to idolatrous ideals. That's why again and again we always end up in conflict, both personally and internationally. Injustice isn't solved by having a better form of government. Campaigning is commendable, but it's woefully insufficient. And the world is broken because we've rejected God and his good plan, his justice. Ray Ortland, an American pastor, puts it well. The mess we've made is so far advanced, so systemic, so overwhelming, it's beyond our powers of correction. In the whole sorry length of human history, we've failed to assemble even one human society as we ourselves would really like it to be. There are flashes of brilliance here and there, but they never last. Why? Our social constructs are fundamentally unjust. It is wrong when children are begging on the street. It is wrong when old people are shivering in the cold. It is wrong when people have only filthy water to drink and sickening food to eat. But the more we try to force our societies into a more human shape by our own schemes, the worse it gets. Because every human plan for salvation unwittingly asserts our own idolatrous self-idealisation. The only true hope is in this servant. And the surprise in these opening verses is this servant won't look like much. He won't look particularly impressive. There's a certain strangeness to his ministry. Isaiah outlines the manner of this servant. Do you see verse 2? He's unassuming. He doesn't cry out or raise his voice. He's not leading a riot in the street. It's clear this servant can't be Cyrus. Back in chapter 41 we read, he's going to trample rulers. No, this servant is humble. He's gentle. It could be verse 3 is saying he won't break or snuff out those who are weak and suffering. Certainly that's true. But it could be verse 3 is unpacking verse 2. It's more of a description about the way this servant will go about bringing forth justice. It's a kind of behind-the-scenes ministry. He's on stealth mode. He's a, he's a ninja servant. I remember reading a true story to one of our boys at bedtime about a man eating leopard in India. I can tell you the book later. And uh, I remember one story. There's one house with uh, just one room, and it had one window, a high-up window, with a vase filling almost the entirety of uh, the window, but one night this leopard gets in through that opening uh, without even nudging the vase. Seems that's the kind of image in view here, except a much, much more positive view. (laughs) Uh, The servant will glide by largely unnoticed and not even leaving a ripple. And it's underlined when we remember how Matthew quotes from Isaiah. In Matthew 12, we read of Jesus healing a man with a withered hand. Uh, But the Pharisees conspire and seek to destroy Jesus. And we read Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. 
This was to fulfil what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Then Matthew quotes from Isaiah 42. And he says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. It hardly makes sense that Jesus didn't crush suffering people until he brought justice, and then he did. It seems more likely Matthew and Isaiah are saying, this servant operates behind the scenes until he achieves his decisive victory. See, Jesus didn't try and lead an army. He quietly, gently, humbly went about bringing justice. And also, verse 4, he's persistent. Even as he heads to Jerusalem and to his death on the cross, he never faints or gives in. He doesn't throw in the towel. And so he achieves justice supremely by dying on the cross in our place. And he establishes justice through his word. And you see that verse 4, even the coastlands, the far off nations are pictured here waiting, just waiting for his law. Again, we mustn't miss the shock. The coastlands, the, the far off nations from chapter 41 are now being included because of this servant as they respond rightly to his word. This servant is the one the Lord appoints to bring forth justice. But he goes about it in quite an unexpected, non-showy way. So there is an unexpectedness of his ministry, verses 1 to 4, but also a newness in his ministry, verses 5 to 9. And here it's like the servant is receiving his commission from the Lord. As you notice, verses 1 to 4, the Lord speaks about his servant, but now, verses 5 to 9, he speaks to his servant. Verse 5, thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. It's a picnic weather at the moment, isn't it? And you know when you, you throw out a blanket just before you sit down on it and there are kind of some wrinkles and ridges and you just smooth them out uh, so you can sit down. You don't even think about it. That is like God stretching out the heavens and the earth, says Isaiah. And what is this all-powerful God doing? He is acting through his servant to bring salvation. He gives his servant as a, a covenant, a binding promise. And he'll be a light to the nations. And the nations so blind in their sin and idolatry, so lost without God and opposed to him, they will have their eyes opened by this servant. They will be brought out of darkness. In verse 9, it's a new thing God will do. Again, it's no surprise, at least to us, with the benefit of hindsight, that this servant is Jesus. You read the Gospel accounts, what do we find? Again and again, he literally opens the eyes of the blind. And he does so to show the true purpose of his ministry, to open the eyes of the spiritually blind. 
on our own. We want nothing to do with God and we can't figure things out for ourselves. It's like we're sitting in a pitch black room with no windows, no doors. And what we need is someone to come in from outside and to show us ourselves, to show us the wretchedness of our condition. We need Jesus to open our eyes and to free us from slavery to sin. I wonder if for the Israelites sitting in exile, these words seem just almost too good to be true. Can you imagine that? Sitting in exile, reading these words. I wonder though if even for us now, 2,000 years after Jesus' earthly ministry, we, we can look back and still think they seem too good to be true. Do we really believe Jesus is this servant who brings God's justice to the world? Well, if we do, we'll sing about it. And it brings us onto our next scene in verses 10 to 17. Really, this is the response to, to all we've just been looking at. Sing to the Lord, who will act decisively. Verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the, let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord. Declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. Now, don't worry if you don't know exactly where the places are in verse 11. Isaiah's point is basically all people everywhere are to be singing this new song to the Lord. And it's a new song because it's a new work God is doing. He's going to act in victory, verse 13. You see, there will come a point where this servant will stop operating off stage. Just look, verse 14. For a long time I've held my peace. I've kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labour. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame. who trust in carved idols. who say to metal images, you are our gods. It seems we're in the season here at St. John's uh, for new babies. And we might think God comparing himself to a pregnant woman is a bit strange. Uh, but in the normal course of things, you know what's coming at the end of a pregnancy, don't you? There is a, a sense of inevitability. And so here the Lord will definitely step in and act. We read the Gospels and and we often find Jesus telling people not to tell others. We, we saw that in Matthew 12. He heals someone and then he tells them to be quiet about it. But then there comes a point when he sets his face to Jerusalem. Or as he says in Matthew 20, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. The time comes for God to achieve a decisive victory and the gloves come off. 
for the servant to be revealed in glory at the cross. Again, for God's people in exile, these words must have been so precious. They knew they had been carted off because of their sin. They knew they deserved it all. And yet, and yet, just look at the end of verse 16 again. I do not forsake them. Yes, they were in exile. Yes, it was because of their sin, but not forsaken. Uh, The eagle-eyed amongst us, they may have a a question. Perhaps as you look at verse 16, you're, you're asking it too. You see, now we find out it's the Lord who will lead the blind. Do you see that? He is the one who will turn the darkness into light. The Lord is doing exactly what he's just said his servant is going to do. I say, which is it, the servant or the Lord? And I think Isaiah would say yes. At the very least, it's the Lord working through his servant. But as we read on, we find out more and more about this servant, we discover it's very hard to distinguish between what he does and what the Lord does. This is the the first of four so-called servant songs in Isaiah. Uh, The others come in chapters 49, 50, and 52 and 53. And without wanting to steal all of the thunder from those later passages, they are all about Jesus. And the New Testament is clear. He's both the one doing God's will. He is the Lord's servant and he's God himself. He and the Father are one. And so all of it begs the question, well, how will we respond to Jesus? If we don't sing for joy from the deepest recesses of our being because of Jesus, at least some of the time, can I suggest we haven't really understood him? He is the servant of the Lord who brings justice. He is making everything right. He is undoing everything wrong in the world. He is the one who does God's work. He is the one who brings forth justice, achieves God's victory. Everything wrong in the world made right through Jesus. Should that not make us sing for praise to God? And then finally, and much more briefly, realise Israel is not the saving servant, but the sinning servant. Again, if we've been here in recent weeks, we might have been confused with which servant is which. Back in chapter 41, do you remember Israel were the servant? But now we discover it's an individual. And sometimes folks suggest Christians, they're just picking and choosing the bits they want to point to Jesus and which bits don't. But actually, simply reading Isaiah makes it abundantly clear. In verses 18 to 25, he deliberately points out Israel are not the saving servant, but the sinning servant. Verse 18. Hear you deaf, look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord is pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say restore. See, the whole reason the exile came upon them 
was their stubborn, willful refusal to listen to God and go his way. But even then, they wouldn't acknowledge it. Even in exile, they failed to see who's doing this and why. Verse 23, who among you will give ear to this, will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we've sinned and whose ways they would not walk and whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all round, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. The extent of their blindness and deafness is total. Seems like a, a bleak place to end the chapter. But again, Isaiah knows what he's doing. This is very deliberate by him. Uh, did we spot how he describes God's people? Uh, the people are blind and they're in prison. In other words, despite their blindness, despite their sin, despite their complete rejection of God, these are precisely the people the Lord will rescue through his saving servant. Even in chapter 42, we're beginning to see how the saving servant rescues the sinful servant by becoming the suffering servant. It is quite extraordinary. And we're left with no doubt, we cannot save ourselves. Next week, Isaiah is going to talk about God's people being the Lord's witnesses. But we must be clear, we can only serve God once we've been served by Jesus, the Lord's servant, through his death. It could be you've been coming to St John's for a while, or maybe you're just here for the first time and you think you're a Christian, but, but deep down you're not quite so sure. Have you looked to Jesus? And not just thinking about him or weighing up his claims or being familiar with the Bible, but really looked to him and seen him for who he really is. Beholding the Lord's servant is what we do when we become a Christian and it's what we do every day of our life as a Christian. So whoever we are, look to Jesus and only Jesus. Behold the Lord's servant. Look to him for life, for forgiveness, for comfort, for joy, for identity, for purpose and for justice. It really isn't a cliche or trite to say Jesus is what everyone needs. He is our greatest need. If we want to see our lives, our family, Tunbridge Wells, the UK, even the world radically transformed, what we need is to see people coming to Jesus, beholding the servant of the Lord. People coming to have their lives rightly ordered under his loving rule. So as we close, here are just a, a couple of diagnostic questions I found helpful to ask myself. You might want to ask them uh, yourself or we could chat about them over tea and coffee if we're feeling adventurous. Uh, who do I look to to fix everything? Who do I look to, to to fix everything? A partner? A boss? A politician? And as I want us to be convinced only the servant of the Lord, only Jesus can deal with everything wrong in the world. He is the only one who makes everything right. And then the second related question, who do I most naturally sing the praises of? Who do I most naturally sing the praises of? Myself? A loved one? A celebrity? Or Jesus? I just think about it. Am I delighted in Jesus? 
our God is. We so naturally sing the praises of so many good things, but how naturally do we sing the praises of Jesus? Perhaps we need to let the truths of Isaiah 42 seep deep down into our soul this week. I know I do. So let's pray that will be true for each one of us. Let's pray together. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Father God, we thank you for our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is this servant, your servant. Thank you that he perfectly fulfilled your word. Thank you that he never fainted nor was discouraged, that he has brought forth justice through his death and resurrection. And there is a day set when that justice will be finally and fully revealed as he returns. Please help each one of us behold Jesus today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives until we see him face to face. In his name we pray. Amen.